Well, uh, several years ago, I lived in a place called Morton in Marsh in Gloucestershire, and um, I was uh, working in the church there. And one Christmas, a little flyer, a little A6 postcard, dropped through my letterbox onto the mat, and it was an invitation. It said, RSVP, you are invited to Christmas drinks at Toddenham Hall. Now, I um, am afraid that my sort of... uh, I didn't have a great reaction to this invitation. I didn't really know the person who it had come from. I'd never really been to Toddenham. I was pretty knackered because it was a run-up to Christmas, and I I thought the last thing I want to do with a Friday night is, is give up my evening to go to spend time with a bunch of people I don't really know very much, and uh, to go to sort of have uh, Christmas drinks in Tottenham Village Hall. It's probably going to be non-alcoholic mulled wine and rather limp mince pies. And I, do you know, I, I looked at this RSVP and I thought, actually, do you know what? I've got better things to do with my Friday night, to my shame. Anyway, so I concocted some excuse um, and RSVP'd along the lines of Oscar Wilde, who famously had to decline the invitation owing to a subsequent engagement, and, um, and made my excuses and I didn't go to this drinks. Anyway, that Sunday at church, everybody was, there was a buzz. Everybody was talking about this great party that everybody had been to. Wasn't it grand? Wasn't it just amazing? All the people, wasn't it it the most fantastic thing? And I listened in and I thought, and it was this party that I'd passed up the opportunity to go to. It wasn't Toddenham Village Hall at all. Toddenham Hall was actually this great big sort of palatial, almost like a National Trust mansion and it was amazing drinks reception that Lord and Lady so-and-so were kind of hosting. And I felt so sheepish. I remember holding the invitation in my hand and thinking, that looks boring. I've got better things to do. How foolish. If only I'd have known what it was I was being invited to, I'd have made it my top priority to make sure I was there. Well, Jesus is, says in this parable, the situation is a little bit like that. He says, we've all been given... An invitation. You know, many people think that Christianity is well-meaning but boring. Uh, a little bit like I thought that party was. Blackadder, famously, if you know Blackadder, he said that heaven is for people who like singing and watering pot plants. And I think that a lot of people think that Christianity is a bit like that. Jesus says, no, Christianity is like a party. And we've all been invited. Look at verse uh, 15. Uh, the person at the table says, and bear in mind, Jesus was actually at a party when this was said. He said, blessed is the one who eats at the feast and the kingdom of God. And Jesus says, well, yeah, okay, I'll tell you a story. A certain man was preparing a great banquet and invited many guests. Now, I don't know much uh, Greek. New Testament was written in Greek, but the word for great is mega. So this was a mega party that this guy was organizing. He invited many, bank- many people, and it's a picture for the kingdom of heaven. And the picture of heaven being like a great feast, it was a well-known idea. It was well-known to this Chappie who started off the conversation, uh, as we heard in our Old Testament reading. The prophet Isaiah um, famously described heaven as being like a great banquet with the finest of meats and vintage wine, and death will be swallowed up forever and every tear wiped away. What an amazing picture. I mean, who in their right mind would pass up an invitation to heaven? Would you like to go to heaven? Of course you would. It's going to be amazing. Our minds can't but comprehend how brilliant it's going to be, but it's going to be like, Jesus says, a party and everyone's invited. But what's even more amazing than this invitation is the fact that anybody 
could turn it down. Look at what happens, verse 17, in the story. Jesus says, at the time of the banquet, he sends a servant, come, everything's ready. But, verse 18, they all start making excuses. And it sounds like a joke, doesn't it? As Jesus sort of tells the story, it's almost like, you know, an Englishman, an Irishman, and a Scotsman are all invited to a party, and they all concoct one ridiculous excuse after each other. The Englishman says, sorry, I just bought a field. Irishman says, sorry, I just, uh, you know, I, bought, uh, I just got married. And the, and the Scotsman says, I've just bought five yoke of oxen, five cows. And you think, well, how ridiculous. But actually, if you think about it, these three excuses that Jesus puts his finger on, they actually aren't far off the kind of excuses that many people make today in order to avoid responding to God's invitation on our lives. Either the invitation to come and follow him for the first time, if we're not a Christian here this morning and we're wondering, shall I become a Christian? Shall I follow Jesus? Well, we put off uh, that invitation with all sorts of excuses, or if we've been a Christian for many years, Jesus actually invites us daily to follow him, and each day we often concoct a list of excuses, which include, I think this is amazingly contemporary, these three things Jesus says. Let's have a look at them in more detail. First one's a field in verse, uh, verse 18. I've just bought a field, I must go and see it. And we think, when we hear this story, we think, well, um, can't the field wait? You know, it's not going anywhere. Surely it can wait. But have you ever bought property? We haven't. Hannah and I, we're not on the property ladder, as you can imagine, because uh, we're in an unusual situation where we get our house provided for us. But if you're on the property ladder, and I guess many or most of us might be, you know that property is normally the single biggest expenditure that anybody makes in their lifetime, isn't it? Hannah's sister and her husband, they're living with us at the moment. They just sold up their flat in Edinburgh. And they're moving down in this direction, and they're trying to buy a house at the moment. And goodness me, it is a faff. Trying to buy a house, it's a big deal. The number of viewings, the amount of time and energy that they've got to spend on right move, looking up links, going to see the viewing, dealing with estate agents and lawyers and solicitors and mortgage brokers. And, uh, you know, the list goes on. I mean, it is a serious headache. And when you're spending that amount of money to buy real estate, actually sorting out all the legal and the practical and financial implications, it's a serious business. So I guess this land in this parable, it's almost like it's representative of our possessions and there can be nothing more valuable that we possess than property. But broadly speaking, you know, for many people, for this guy, it was real estate that had become all-consuming for him. But maybe there's something else for us. Maybe it's something else that we spend our money on that causes us possibly to become too invested in the things of this world. Yeah, it's an interesting contrast, actually, isn't it? If you think this parable, the man's excuse for not going to the banquet is that he's just bought a field. In other words, the interpretation of that is his excuse for passing up the opportunity to go to heaven is he's just invested in a piece of the earth. And so for him, the temporal had become much more valuable to him than the eternal. Incredibly contemporary, isn't it? Or look at the second excuse. Second excuse in verse uh, 19. Another says, I've just bought five yoke of oxen and I'm on my way to try them out. And you think, well, how ridiculous. Cows. Why is he mucking around with cows instead of going to this incredible banquet? Well, presumably he's a far- you know, he must be a farmer of some description if he's buying cows. 
So if he's a farmer, then his animals must be his livelihood. He he must be reliant on these cows for his income. You know, this is his job. And so if the the thing which takes up most of our cash is our possessions, our property, well, the thing that takes up most of our time is our job, isn't it? I mean, a, a, a job, a career, it's integral to a lot of people's identity. The first people, thing that people say when they meet each other, they say, what do you do? And they answer with a job title. And one of the church wardens at my previous church, he used to be a farmer. Uh, in fact, he was a cattle breeder. And in fact, he was actually at one time the president of the World Association of South Devon's Cattle Breeders. So he knows a thing or two about um, buying cows. And this was in the paper... Um, from, uh, from what he had to say. Um, he got asked what goes into buying a cow. And he says, when I buy bulls into the herd, I do a lot of research to make sure they're going to take us forward. I use the internet to find out about their relatives. I go and look at them and their, da- and their dam, as well as their siblings, if possible, to go and get a really good insight into their background and a view of possible traits like confirmation, udders, feet and locomotion. Progress is about making informed and appropriate choices. I once bought a bull without doing my usual thorough research, and his progress neither grew nor killed off. And despite having excellent cows with good bloodlines, he had a negative impact on herd performance, and we lost ground. I mean, did you ever think that so much went into buying a cow? Well, this guy, he's not just buying one cow, it says. He's buying five yoke of oxen. In other words, ten Cows. That is a serious purchase that's going to determine whether or not there's going to be food on the table for many years to come. Now, of course, it's good to work hard at our job, just as it's good to own property. But isn't it so easy for people's jobs, people's careers, to take them away from God, for our job to get in the way of our faith? You know, I once heard somebody say that you can tell what you really love by what you spend your time on and what you spend your money on. Well, these two first excuses are those two things, aren't they? Possessions up t- taking up all their money and job taking up all their time. Incredibly contemporary. Well, how about the third excuse then? Verse 20. Still another said, I've just got married. And this is the excuse I think we, we have the most sympathy for, probably. You know, when we hear that, we go, ah, oh, well, you know, he's probably on honeymoon. He's just got married. That's a pretty good excuse, isn't it, to give? Well, if the field has got hold of our wallet and the cows have got hold of our diary, then the spouse has got hold of our heart. Um, I remember when my friends and my contemporaries started getting married, I sort of noticed their priorities shifting a little bit. And as a single guy, I found that suddenly I was feeling a little bit miffed, that I was suddenly down the pecking order, if you like, a little bit of my friend's priority. I felt squeezed out to some degree. Uh, I guess it's inevitable. Now I'm married. I, you know, Hannah's obviously my number one priority. She's the first in my affections. I'll be honest, there are probably friendships which have ended up getting a little bit squeezed out. And how easy that is to be the case with God. Have we squeezed God out of our hearts? I mean, actually, the first commandment, Jesus says, is that we should love the Lord our God with all our heart, not just a little bit left over. In fact, what Jesus says 
in this chapter is so striking about our relationship with God compared to our relationship with other people. Have a little, this is a spoiler alert for what we're looking at next week. It's such striking language that Jesus uses in verse 26. Have a look down at verse 26 is what we're looking at next week. He says, if anyone comes to me and does not hate father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, even their own life, such a person cannot be my disciple. It's incredibly strong language, isn't it? How can Jesus mean that? How does that work when the Ten Commandments clearly say we're supposed to honour our father and mother? And we're, of course, supposed to love our spouse. Well, Jesus is making the point that he must be number one in our hearts. Everything else must come in underneath that. It's like in the marriage service. We had a marriage, a wedding here yesterday. You can probably spot by the confetti outside. The vow which you make when you get married is, will you love Will you love, honour, comfort, cherish and protect and forsaking all others. Forsaking all others, be faithful as long as you both shall live. Well, what does forsaking all others mean? Does it mean you delete everybody's number from your phone book, you never write a Christmas card again, you know, you, you strike off your family from your list of affections? Well, no, it doesn't mean that you, completely, you forsake them like that, but it means that everyone else, every other earthly relationship must come in underneath the marriage relationship. Your spouse is your number one priority. And it's the same thing, isn't it, with God? If actually our marriage is given by God as a a picture, the Bible says, of our relationship with God, then actually our relationship with God needs to take, as the hymn says, we sing, I think we sung last week, thou and thou only the first in my heart. And everything else, including all other earthly relationships, must come in underneath. Well, what are we to make of this parable? Strong words, aren't they, from Jesus? I think the point is, you know, as Jesus tells this story, I think the point is we're supposed to think, aren't these excuses ridiculous? You know, when we first read it, that's probably what we thought. And then actually, the, the more you go into it, the more you think, oh, gosh, this is a bit close to the bone. This is a, kind of, it's a little bit contemporary. Actually, I find myself making these excuses every day to put my possessions and kind of take up all my money and my, you know, jobs taking up all my time and my relationships taking up all my affections. But actually... It's not those things are wrong. It's not that it's wrong to own possessions. It's not that it's wrong to work hard at your job. It's not that it's wrong to get married. What's wrong? The warning which Jesus is making is when we turn those good things into a God thing. And when we take anything that is given by God and we put that in the place of God himself, the Bible calls that idolatry. We can make an idol out of anything. We can make an idol out of our property. We can make an idol out of our job. We can make an idol out of our relationships. And everybody has got the temptation to do that today just as much as the people in Jesus' day did when he first taught this. We need to get our loves and our priorities in the right order. And I guess the thing which these three guests needed to realise, and which all of us this morning need to realise, is what I needed to realise when I held that invitation in my hand to Tottenham Hall. I needed to realise just how valuable and precious this invitation was. Because when we understand that, when we understand the invitation which Jesus makes to each of us, then surely there won't be any excuses. I mean, just have a little listen. Let me read to you a few verses which kind of sprung to mind when I thought, what is the invitation which Jesus makes to each of us here this morning? He invites, there's so many things. In Matthew 11, Jesus says this. He says, come to me all you who are weary and heavy laden, all of us, everyone's invited to come to him if we're weary, 
this morning, and Jesus says, I will give you rest. We're all invited to receive rest. Or 1 John 1, John says, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. We're invited to come and have our past wiped clean, our sins forgiven, and to be in a right standing before God. All of us are invited to to have that. John 7, Jesus invites us. He says, let anyone who is thirsty, anyone, let anyone who is thirsty come to me and drink and be filled with the Holy Spirit. We've all been invited by Jesus to come and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Or John 1, John says, to all, everyone who received him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. We've all been invited to become a child of God, a son or a daughter of the Heavenly Father. Everyone's been invited. Or John 6, Jesus says, and this is the best thing of all, everyone, see, it's so inclusive, Jesus, everyone who looks to the Son and believes in him shall have eternal life, and I will raise them up at the last day. Everybody is invited to participate in the resurrection from the dead and to inherit eternal life. Well, there could not possibly be a better invitation, could there, than what Jesus invites us into? Can't be a better invitation than to be given rest for our weary souls, to have our past sins wiped clean, to be filled with the presence and power of God, the Holy Spirit himself, to be made a child of God, to be raised from the dead, and to inherit eternal life. I mean, when you put it like that, there could be nothing more precious So have we accepted that invitation? Here we are, we hold it in our hands. All of us, if you're holding a Bible, are holding the words of Jesus which invite us to follow him. Have we accepted or are we letting our stuff or our job or our relationships become a distraction to us? Let's pray.